Amen. So to my wife over there on the soundboard, how's it feel to have everybody looking at you saying, where are the words to the song and having to probably not be your fault, right? That's what, that's what a poor sound person always tends to be at the, at the center of any problems there. So now we know what Mike goes through every week whenever there's any technical issues. So happy to be finishing up our series on the book of Ephesians. I've enjoyed this summer series on Ephesians. I've learned a lot. Uh, first time I've preached through Ephesians, I've taught through it. Uh, in a men's study, but I've never actually preached through it you know, from beginning to end until now. Um, we are coming to the end. It's chapter 6, verse 10 to the end of the chapter to verse 24. 6, 10 to 24. And uh, we've been looking at the entire book of Ephesians, and the main theme throughout has been building a Jesus-centered community. Uh, that most uh, scholars believe, too, that the theme of the book of Ephesians is about Christian community. Uh, what does it mean for the church to be the church? What is this new found faith and how does it affect uh, the community of believers? And I think, friends, that's been our vision here at First Baptist Church is becoming a Jesus-centered community. So this has been right in line what we have has been pursuing together uh, as a church family. Today we're going to be looking at spiritual battle. That's how he ends it here. That we're called to stand firm in a spiritual battle. That, friends, we are in a spiritual battle. Let me just say from the outset, though, it's a winning one. <laughs> Unlike a typical battle, we know who wins in the end. We know who wins this war. We know who wins this battle. Uh, the outcome is secure. In fact, you can read it in the book of Revelation if you want. It's about a white rider uh, called uh, Truth who destroys all that is evil in the world and in the end brings his people to victory. So we know how it ends. We know how the battle ends even as we are going through it. But that being said, it is a real, true, and actual spiritual battle that we are in and what we face regularly. Now this is an important part of the Christian life. is recognizing the spiritual battle that we are in and learning to stand firm. In fact, it's been such a big part of the Christian life that there is a whole denomination that bases their whole structure based on uh, this battle. And of course, I'm talking about the, the Salvation Army. And in the Salvation Army, you start off as a soldier when you're 14 years of age. Then, I think this is a clergy, becomes a lieutenant, captain, major. They have lieutenant, colonel, colonel, and commissioner. And the international leader of the Salvation Army is, uh, holds the rank of a general. So they base their entire structure on the fact that we are in this spiritual battle. I think that may be pressing the metaphor a little too much, but it is uh, what it is. A lot of our songs, a lot of our songs are based on this. Of course, Onward, Christian Soldiers, but uh, one of my favorite hymns is A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Uh, this great hymn by Martin Luther. A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing. A bulwark is sort of a, a, a type of fortress, a protected area. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, our ancient enemy, doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we on our own strength confide, kind of as Pastor Mike was saying earlier, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, which means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies, doesn't have anything to do with the Sabbath. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. That recognizing this, the spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle 
that we are in as Christians. And friends, I think it's essential that we recognize this, that there are no civilians in this battle, that all of us are in this battle, that the stakes are magnified, that the enemy we face is more powerful than any enemy that we face in this world. Jesus himself talked about this and talked about the, the battle against the strong man, uh, the enemy. Paul talks about it again and again, especially in this passage. We're called to stand firm in a spiritual battle. Look with me, 6.10 uh, to the end of the chapter. We read this. Finally, so we're coming to the end. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Friends, we are called to stand firm in a spiritual battle. There's an outline in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to look on and take notes. And I love to see when some, and not everybody's a note taker, but some folks like to really write out some detailed notes to help them remember and maybe questions that you have or whatever. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, we're going to start off uh, with the first point here to be aware of the spiritual battle. Be aware of it, 10 to 12. Uh, be aware that we are in a spiritual battle. As he says here, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Uh, you may notice there's a bit of a repetition there. Be strong in the strength of his might. That's kind of uh, basically saying the same thing three times uh, in a row. Uh, but there's this battle imagery and this calling to be strong because there is a battle. There is something that we are facing and we have to be aware of it. And he tells us who the enemy is. That the prime enemy in this spiritual battle is the devil. He talks about the schemes of the devil. That there is an adversary. There's an enemy. There's an opponent. There is a foe. On the other end of this, he is an unseen spiritual being that wants to destroy us. And we'll talk about what, he mean, what we mean by destroy us. And he says here, because uh, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, this is not a physical battle. So it's nothing to do with the crusades and trying to wipe out people who have different beliefs or anything like that. He's talking about a specifically a spiritual 
a battle. It's not against flesh and blood. And he talks about specifically the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of darkness. Those, uh, almost all commentators agree, refer to demonic forces at work in this world. That underneath the devil himself are these other uh, demonic forces at work in the world. He calls this world in its present darkness. That there are these that the world itself has fallen, it's in rebellion against God, it's broken, and for the time being, God allows this spiritual uh, evil to exist in this broken world until he sets it right. But friends, the point is, in this first section here, is it's important to be aware. It's important to be aware of this battle. Uh, it's very easy to be aware of a physical battle, right? You've got bullets flying at you, you've got a nuclear arsenal being built, it's very easy to be aware of that. World War II... Very easy to be aware of the fact that there is an actual enemy. You've got the, the allies and the axis, and uh, we're, we're trying to, uh, the United States is on the side of the allies, trying to destroy a very clear a danger to the world, right? Now, I think, you know, perhaps we, we traded one, you know, we traded uh, Stalin for, for Hitler, and that, uh, we could talk all day about that, but nevertheless, it was clear. There was a clear physical battle. Uh, you may have heard just this morning that North Korea has tested its, its sixth hydrogen bomb. Uh, there is a clear physical enemy who is a danger to us. Physical battles are easy to be aware of. But he's saying here, be aware that our battle, our ultimate battle, is a spiritual battle. It's not one that you can see with your eyes. Because the devil is scheming. He's sneaky. In fact, his best weapon, I think we could say, is the fact that he is deceitful. That he appears as an angel of light. He appears good. That he lies, that he's full of tricks, that he's hidden, that he's very subtle in the way he works. Jesus himself described the devil this way. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And this is what Jesus says. When he lies, he speaks his native language. (laughs) So if lying to him is just the way he talks, that's his native language. Uh, It's like English to us. Lying is is English. Uh, For he is a liar and the father of lies. Friends, he is, his, greatest, uh, his greatest scheme is to lie to us, to trick us. And I think among that is to just let us go along with life, go along life unaware, unaware that there's even a spiritual battle to be fought. C.S. Lewis famously said in the Screw Tape Letters, indeed the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope Soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. In other words, if he can keep you comfortable, living life apathetic to God and ignorant of the spiritual battle that surrounds you, he's won the war. (laughs) He's won the battle. I think perhaps his greatest uh, trick uh, is the fact that so many people don't even believe (laughs) that there is a devil. Right? That's uh, over all of, almost all of uh, history. Uh, in the last 2,000 years, people have believed that there is a spiritual force of evil in this world. But nowadays, the idea is oh, that's not very academic. It's not very scientific. There is no devil. It reminds me of a quote from a movie. Some of you guys know where I'm going this. You've seen The Usual Suspects. Uh, the, the, the main enemy, Kaiser Soze, for those who have seen this movie. Uh, at the end, he says, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Remember that line at the end of the movie? And the funny thing is, uh, the guy that's saying it uh, is actually Kaiser Soze, and they don't even know it. So he's the one who has pulled off this trick. But I think that actually is true. Perhaps his greatest subtlety, his greatest trick was to say, 
There is no devil, there is no spiritual battle, and we live in a natural world only. What does the devil want? What is the battle for? Well, one, his ultimate goal, I think, would be unbelief. Uh, his ultimate desire for you would be to reject Christ, to believe that the whole thing is false, to believe that Jesus is not the Savior, and that we can't have salvation in him. But if he doesn't have that, I think there are other things. He, he would desire to tempt you to fall into sin. And he would desire you to fall into sexual sin or some other perversion or some addiction to alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be to tempt you to fall into sin. I think one of the other things he does is to use persecution. Uh, he, to uh, attack Christians, to actually scare them away from faith in Jesus. Uh, there is demonic oppression. Uh, you know, some people say, well, there's demonic possession and demonic oppression, right? So a Christian can't be possessed. I think that's true <laughs> by, by, something, by, by something demonic. But there can be demonic oppression where there's, a, there's something going on. Um, Certainly have seen that. I mean, I don't think you can be in pastoral ministry long before you encounter something that you think is, really does go beyond the surface level here. Uh, something is going on deeper there. Not, not certainly on the mission field. <laughs> you know, when you're walking around uh, this giant Hindu temple that is devoted to uh, Shiva, the god of destruction, and you can literally smell uh, the, the smell of burning human flesh from the cremations, you know there is something going on here that is not just physical. There is a spiritual entrapment here. But I, friends, you see it here in the United States. Let's not be uh, naive about that. And I think one of the things he would do is to just lead you into fear in the Christian life, into a spirit of hopelessness. There's nothing I can do. I'm hopeless in life. I'm afraid. I'm filled with anxiety and worry. I don't recognize God's in control. That's his ultimate goal for you. So friends, let me say, before we move on to the armor of God here, are you aware are you aware of the spiritual battle that you are in? So here we go. First, recognize the battle. Recognize it. There are, that there are forces at work in your life that are out to destroy your faith. The forces at work in life that don't want you to believe in Jesus. They don't want you to follow Jesus. They don't want you to obey Jesus. They don't want you to overcome sin. They want to lead you into hopelessness. Be aware. That's the first thing, to be very aware that you're surrounded by that. You know, it's interesting. Uh, people will say most Americans don't even realize how, how much danger we're in. We're not aware of what's going on around the world and the threats against our country. We're just unaware of it. And I read this. This is from Slate Magazine. Uh, the National Counterterrorism Counter Center director, Michael Leiter, says the agency receives, you ready for this, Eight to 10,000 pieces of information per day of credible threats against our country. They also get information about 40, of about 40 supposed plots against the United States or its allies daily. <laughs> so imagine being working for that organization, all of a sudden you become aware of the regular danger against us. Well friends, what he's calling us as Christians to do here in Ephesians 6 is to be aware that there is indeed a spiritual battle that we're facing. The thing I would, next thing I would say about it is, is don't be obsessed with it though. Uh, don't be obsessed with it. Uh, there is a danger, I think, in, being, in having a, a preoccupation with sp the spiritual battle and a preoccupation with evil. Uh, again, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, said that uh, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. We just talked about it, be unaware. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors 
and heal a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Uh, well said there, friends. We, there's a danger in being overly interested. I meet people like this. I counsel people like this. Sometimes they're just so uh, into it, so worried about it, so um, fascinated uh, by this that I think it ends up being a spiritual trap for them. And the, thing, uh, the third thing I would say before we move on is don't be afraid. So the idea is not to cause fear in you. Uh, the Bible is very clear. Greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. So you have the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said, I tie up the strong man so I can take anything I want from him and plunder what I want from him. You guys know the parable there? Uh, Jesus says that you can't go into a strong man's house and take what you want because the strong man will stop you unless you can tie up the strong man. And Jesus said that in the context in which he was going in and taking what he wants from, uh, from a man who was possessed. So he's saying here, I have the power to tie up the strong. It's very clear. And also, I would encourage you to read Revelation 19 as well. There is a clear victory in the end. So fear is not the answer as well, but a recognition of a battle that we are in. So what does he say to do? Put on the armor of God, 13 to 17. Uh, put on the armor of God. This is what warfare, spiritual warfare, would look like. Uh, the whole armor of God. And the reason for it, he tells us, is so that you can withstand the evil day. Now, what is the evil day? I think it refers to every day. <laughs> every day in which you face temptation. Every day in which you face the temptation to doubt and to unbelief. That you can stand firm. Uh, the opposite of standing is what? Well, I guess there's a lot of different things you can do besides stand. You can turn and run away. <laughs> so, don't turn and run away. Stand firm. Uh, or to get knocked down. Or to, be, to lie down uh, dead. Those would be the opposite of standing. So he's saying, what I'm calling you to do here is to put on the armor of God so you can stand firm spiritually. And he talks about these different pieces. Uh, we got our, our sort of uh, model guy here, to, uh, to an armored guy here. This is uh, my, my daughter's work. And uh, she actually made it a robot, but we're going to make it into an armored guy. Okay, so this is, our, this is our armored guy. What do you got here? You got, first of all, the belt of truth. Now, what is he talking about, the belt of truth? Uh, commentators uh, sort of disagree. Is this referring to God's truth, meaning the word of God, uh, the truth of the gospel, or is it referring to a spirit of honesty, sincerity in the way we live our lives? And I think the best answer was both, because you can't separate the two. Uh, if, if, if you believe in the truth, and you believe the word is the truth, then you also stand in the truth in your own life. You live with a sincerity and a genuineness and an honesty. Similar to that is the breastplate of righteousness, does that refer to the righteousness of Christ which we wear? Or does it refer to our sanctification, our growing and doing what is right? And the answer, I think, is yes. <laughs> it is. Both of those. It's a trust in the righteousness of Christ which begins to shape and mold how we live our lives as well. The shoes are for the readiness of the gospel. Uh, I love that. So it's to what? It's to go out there and share the good news. Uh, it's not about just uh, sitting around and doing nothing and laying, sitting on your couch. It's, it's to go forth and share the good news. That's what the shoes of the readiness of the gospel are about. And the shield of faith, that we continue to trust God and don't falter or fade. He talks about being shot here by the, the, de the darts of the evil one. What are these? One commentator, the devil's darts no doubt include his mischievous accusations which inflame our conscience with what? A false guilt, uh, unsought thoughts of doubt, of disobedience, rebellion, lust, malice, or fear. 
And how do we repel that? By keep trusting God with a shield of faith. And then he talks about the helmet of salvation. The helmet does what? It covers the head, protects our thoughts from doubt and a lack of assurance that we belong to God. And then there's the sword of the Spirit, uh, which is the Word of God. Notice that's the only part of the armor that's used both for defending and attacking. We stand firm on the Scriptures. I'm going to say a few things about this metaphor. One, you'll notice about it that all of that is meant for us to stay on the offensive. None of this is meant for running away. You know, this is all meant to, all meant to stay on the offensive. The shield, sword, the boots are made to move us forward. Uh, we're continually called to, to keep going forward as Christians in our Christian walk. Uh, to avoid backsliding or apathy and lethargy. To fight, to keep going in the spiritual battle. Notice too, all the, all the pieces are similar. They're really not much different than one another. Uh, they're all about what? They're all about the scriptures. They're all about the gospel. They're all about our need for sanctification and our need to continue to trust God. I mean, they're, they're all basically saying the same thing. Uh, without those things, without God's word, without uh, the gospel, we are naked. We have no spiritual defense. But our, with, with those things, we are able to fight. And also notice that all of them are about an up-close and personal battle. Uh, who uses the darts? Satan does, right? He's the one who hides behind the tower and shoots. By the way, you can go in this tower, too. So kids, before you knock it down, there's actually an entrance you can kind of go, go back and back. But who's the one who hides in the tower and shoots at the enemy? Not us. That's the devil's work. He's the one who uses We don't use arrows and darts and catapults. It's an up-close and ugly battle, friends. Sometimes we get hurt. You repent when you sin. You get back up and you move on. Again, I talk to people all the time who fail, who fall into sin, and they ask, what do I do now? The answer is very obvious. Repent of your sin, own it, turn to God, confess it, and get back up and keep going. <laughs> the worst thing you can do is just sit there and wallow in your sin and wallow in your failure. Uh, the battle is up close and personal. Get it back up and keep going. My friends, make sure you are equipped. Make sure you're equipped for this battle. That's why I think at First Baptist we are so passionate about the Bible here. <laughs> because we know that that's what we need spiritually. Uh, we need the Word. We don't need the latest fad, the latest new book that, uh, I won't mention any names, but some famous Christian writer puts out there and that's going to be the, the biggest thing. And you know, what we need is to continue to be, know and understand the Scriptures. Uh, I had someone say before that they, they don't like my preaching, which is fine. You know, no one has to, everyone doesn't have to like my preaching. But he said, the reason for it is, I don't like how you always teach the Bible. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's the only message I got. I, mean, I have nowhere else to go for you than there. I mean, that's where I believe uh, we are. That's why we're passionate about the Bible. That's what we need spiritually. Um, you know, I was thinking about it. every Sunday, uh, we read the scriptures before we even talk about it. So if you just come, if you just show up every Sunday... You've read the book of Ephesians with us, right? <laughs> Lord willing, we're going to do Daniel next. If you just come every Sunday, you'll have read the book of Daniel because uh, you would have heard the whole thing. Even if you didn't listen to the sermon, you at least have heard the word. We're going to continue to study and read and know and understand the word. But more than that, integrate it into all of life. Uh, that's why we have community groups as well where they meet, talk about it, talk about its application, talk about what it means to, uh, how it applies to your own life. Uh, that's why we have Financial Peace University taking a lot of biblical principles of stewardship and applying them to your life. So it's not just about learning biblical facts. 
you know, making sure you're good at, at Bible trivia. That's not the goal. Uh, it's to how do you apply this to your own life? How is this relevant to what's going on in your life? And so we also want to do that, make sure that we're taking the word, we're integrating it into people's lives. And friends, I would say, be courageous. Uh, you have armor. Uh, in this spiritual battle, you have armor. Uh, God didn't send you into a battle and say, just go and I'm not giving you anything, any protection. I mean, you have armor. Uh, and it's his word and it's the gospel. Uh, and we'll talk about prayer in just a bit as well. You have everything you need to succeed in this battle. Uh, I, I, some of you guys who know me know I, I love the Navy SEALs. Big fan of the Navy SEALs. Um, great book if you're looking for an intro on it is Warrior Elite by Dick Couch. But anyways, if you want, if you want to learn about the SEALs, um, uh, it's, it's pretty neat. Well, they say it takes about a million dollars for each SEAL on the field. For training, armor, all the stuff that it needs. And they wear this body armor that can withstand a, a, a bullet shot right to it. They have headgear including night vision that costs about up to $65,000 just for the headgear that they wear. They have the best armor you can buy <laughs> are given to these SEALs as they send them into the battlefield. Friends, God has given us the best armor he could give us. <laughs> Everything we need for this spiritual battle. And friends, not only that, we're on the side of the good. <laughs> we're on God's side. And the outcome is already determined. He already wins the battle. We know that. <laughs> In fact, if I had to summarize uh, the, the, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, something I know there's a lot of confusion. If I had to summarize it in two words, it would be this. Christ wins. That's it. <laughs> That's what the book is about. We know the outcome. So be courageous. When you fail, get back up. But be courageous as you fight. And then 18 to 20. Pray continually and pray powerfully. Pray continually and powerfully. I think it's no surprise that the next thing he talks about is prayer. He says in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit. That prayer is essential when it comes to spiritual Warfare, battling. Praying in the Spirit means you pray to, praying by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is His very presence with us as His people. The one who dwells in us as His people. So pray empowered by His Spirit. Pray to God by the power of His Spirit. And he says, with all prayer and supplication. Uh, supplication is not a word we use every day. Supplication just means to ask God for stuff. <laughs> so Ask him for stuff. God, God wants you to ask him for stuff. I've heard people say, I don't like asking God for stuff. I don't want to bother him. Well, he tells you to ask him for stuff. God wants you to ask him for stuff because as it does, it, what it does is does what Pastor Mike said earlier. It demonstrates that our dependence is on him, that I can't do this on my own. If I don't ask him, uh, then I'm, I'm really saying, I got this, God. You don't, I don't need your help. <laughs> But when I ask him, what am I saying? I'm saying, I can't do it without you. I need your help. I need you to work in this situation. So supplication. Uh, then he says, to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We talked about this a number of times. Saints has nothing to do with an elite group of Christians. It has to do with all believers. And so what he's saying is, don't just pray for yourself. Keep alert, yes, but pray for other believers as well. Don't be selfish when it comes to prayer. <laughs> Pray for each other as well. And then he says, verse uh, 20, pray for me. 19 and 20, pray for me, Paul says. Give, pray that God would give me the words to proclaim the gospel. Uh, Paul at this time is in prison. He's chained right next to a Roman soldier. He's probably actually looking at the Roman soldier when he thinks of the armor of God and looking at the helmet and the 
breastplate and all that. Uh, he's saying, give me wisdom as I'm sharing with this guy and everyone that comes to visit and the day I'm going to be released that I might proclaim the gospel as a faithful ambassador. He knows he needs prayer as he faces the spiritual battle as well. Friends, believe in the power of prayer. Believe in the power of prayer. Because God is a God who cares about us, loves us, he's a father to us, and he wants us to pray. Uh, there was this famous uh, mafia muscle uh, who was converted. And uh, as he was on trial for his life, he was praying. And God worked pretty miraculously in the situation, but I'll, I'll leave that out for now. Uh, the, his lawyer said, I don't believe in God, but now I do believe in the power of prayer. <laughs> and he said, well, who do you think I'm praying to? <laughs> uh, but that was the idea. He believed, he came to believe that prayer had power to it, even though he didn't believe there was a God behind it. And the mafia guy said, that doesn't even make any sense. The person I'm praying to is the Lord. Friends, be continual, be persevering in prayer. You know, the non-Christian or the young Christian says, well, I prayed and I prayed and nothing happened. For those who've walked with the Lord for a long time, you know that's not how it works. That prayer is a relational thing. You, you, you continue to trust God. He answers. He does respond to prayer, but it's not, a, it's not a wish list that we lay before Him and get whatever we want. It's an ongoing relational relationship and conversation with God. And I'd say, friends, pray, especially when it comes to evangelism, as the Apostle Paul does here. Satan does not give up easily those who belong to him. Pray, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel. Be winsome and wise in talking to others about the Lord. Be bold, as Paul says here, preach boldly. But pray for power. Because unless God sets in, you're not going to get anywhere in talking to people about the Lord. How do we pray, friends? We pray, as it says, in the Spirit. So make sure you're praying uh, to the Lord with the power and the passion that comes from the Lord. Some people say, I don't know if I should write out my prayers or I should... It doesn't make a difference. You want to write them out, write them out. Don't want to write them out. The, the key question is, are you praying empowered by God's Spirit and praying with a passion to the Lord? Supplication, as I said, ask God for stuff. Uh, let God know that you need Him. Make it clear that you need Him and you're, what you ask that you can't do it without him, and then pray with expectation that he's going to answer. Friends, I've, I've just watched God answer prayer. You could, never, you could not convince me that prayer doesn't work. Impossible. At this stage in my life, I, I've seen it. I've seen God answer prayer so many ways, such miraculous ways at times. You couldn't convince me in any way uh, that it doesn't work. I know and watch God answer prayer. Expect him to work. And as it says here, pray for others. Uh, pray for the saints. You know, prayer is, uh, is an act of service. It's a labor. We are on Labor Day, a Labor Day weekend. Uh, praying for others is, is, is labor. It takes work, it takes time, it takes commitment, it takes energy. We do it because we love one another. And friends, pray for members of this church. And we talked about a number of folks in our church. There's some who, who are struggling with a lot of health issues. Um, there, are, there are some who have job issues or moving issues or whatever it is. We pray for one another. That's one thing we do as a church. Pray for our missionaries. Uh, I met with one of our missionaries this last week. He is a missionary in Senegal, a very dark place spiritually. Uh, and uh, he just laid his heart bare and said, you know what, honestly, I haven't been very effective. I've been there for years. Senegal is a predominantly Muslim country. And he said, I've, I've made a lot of relationships, few converts here and there, but 
It's, it's not easy work. So people come to me and say, well, tell me the great stories of what's going on. He says, there aren't any. <laughs> it's hard work. It's labor. It takes years and years and years. And so far, there hasn't been a lot of fruit. Pray for our missionaries. And friends, I would definitely say pray for me. <laughs> Please continue to pray for me too. Jesus said, pray for everyone. Pray for our enemies. Uh, as, as Mitch said in the prayer, we pray for our politicians. Maybe that's the same group, our enemies and our politicians, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, we pray for those who are in leadership in our world. Uh, before you open your mouth to criticize them, why don't you open your mouth in prayer for them? And there's a place for criticism too, but I'm just saying pray for those in authority. And then 21 to 24, come to the end of this letter, which really is finishing his section on spiritual, the spiritual battle, but I think it fits in. We'll talk about how in a second here. 21 to 24, be in a Jesus-centered community. Uh, be active in a church, in a Jesus-centered community. Paul's closing greetings, he says, I'm sending Tychicus, or Tychicus, uh, to you. He's going to Ephesus, so he's one of Paul's fellow missionaries, and he's going to minister to them and encourage them uh, by being present there. Uh, the letter's one thing, glad to send the letter, but there's nothing like having someone with you. He's going to let you know what's going on in the mission field with me. He's going to learn about you, what's going on in the church, and he's going to spend time with you there. And he wishes peace or shalom to all of the brothers and sisters there uh, from God and the Lord Jesus. And he also wishes grace uh, with all who lo- to all those who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Uh, wishing the church, hoping the church is going to persevere. But notice, what is he picturing here? He's picturing a community of believers in Jesus. Not just individuals, but a community. Uh, he envisions not just a church, but other churches working together. He's sending tickets there to say, we work together, we're not on opposite sides. We're on the same side. We work together. And friends, I would just say when it comes to just the spiritual battle (laughs) that we have to face, going it alone is perhaps the most dangerous place to be. The best place to be is with other Christians on a team, whether that's your own church family or with others. Um, I'm just thinking of one example. I remember I was so glad we did a mission trip teaching preaching in Nepal. And uh, it was one day, we were in the jungle region, and it was so hot, it was 90-something degrees, humidity was sky high, we're in this big room filled with people, and there is no air conditioner, I think they have like one fan going on, and we're teaching all day long, and I was just exhausted, I mean, I just couldn't even go anymore, I was able to turn to another pastor that was there and say, could you take over? Yes, he takes over, I mean, working as a team, um, friends, you could definitely... Uh, as, a, as we go the Christian life, we go it together. Church is a place of encouragement, as he says here, of peace, of love with faith, of grace. It helps us persevere to keep at it. The most dangerous place to be spiritually, I think, is alone. Let FBC Haverhill be our, our spiritual home base. Let, let it be our barracks. You know what a barracks is, right? It's where you train soldiers. Where, where do you learn how to fight spiritually? In a church family. And I mean that not just the building, but this community with Jesus at the center. Uh, together, friends, we, we form a, a, a unit, a troop, a squad, a platoon, whatever you want to use there. A phalanx. So uh, I have a, she- a picture of a phalanx here. So these are uh, modern reenactors who really get into Roman soldiering here. But what they did back then, Roman soldiers didn't have to go it alone. They would, they would lock shields with one another and create like a little turtle basically like a shell around the whole group it would be impenetrable by arrows or darts or whatever they would they would work together i think that's how 
we should view the church in many ways. Make sure no Christian goes it alone. That's why we have Sunday morning gathering. That's why we have community groups. We check each other's armor. We fight for one another if we have to. We, we, we come to the rescue of somebody who's in trouble. Uh, I love the story of Desmond Doss. He's the one they made a movie about recently, Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, very, very graphic movie. I just want to say that. Don't, you may not want to show it to your kids. But Desmond Doss was a real historical figure. He was a Medal of Honor winner. Uh, he refused to uh, take a, ba- a weapon into to battle, uh, which I don't agree with. I think there is a just reason for war. But nevertheless, uh, he felt he wanted to serve his country, but he could not bear a weapon because of his Seventh-day Adventist Christian faith. And he ended up saving 75 wounded people who would have died without him. He himself was wounded four times. Friends, as Christians, are, are we helping those who are wounded? Are we helping those who are spiritually in need, those who are spiritually hurting? That's what the church does together. We're called to stand firm in this spiritual battle. We do that by being aware, first of all, that we are in a spiritual battle. By putting on the armor of God. By praying continually and powerfully. And I would say also, I'd connect this last part and say, by being part of a Jesus-centered community together. Let's be that. Let's be a a spiritual stronghold. And a place where the enemy is routed out. (laughs) A barracks for his kingdom. Friends, just imagine it, picture it, lives that are transformed. People who are set free from spiritual oppression and from addictions. Let's be, friends, those who are involved in the spiritual battle, trusting that the outcome is secure. And it's only a matter of time until Christ returns. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the book of Ephesians, a letter to the Ephesian church. Thank you that it has been preserved and translated into English, but preserved well over 2,000 years and has been shaping and molding your people. And thank you that we have it today to look to, to understand the will of our God, to grow in grace from. So thank you for the way you've used it in our church family. I pray you'd continue to use your word to mold and shape us. Help us, Father, to be aware of the spiritual battle that we're surrounded with and to be equipped. Help us, Lord, to stand firm in the truth and righteousness, our feet ready to go with the gospel of peace, held secure with the shield of faith and ready with the sword of the Spirit, Lord. The helmet of salvation protecting our thoughts our doubt from doubt, and lack of assurance, give us strength, Lord, and help us to be a people of prayer together as one body. Lord, we can't do this uh, without your help. And as we said about prayer, Lord, we do come dependent on you. So protect this church family. Help us to continue to be on the offensive spiritually, to continue to grow and to mature and to reach our city by the grace of God. Be with us now even, Lord, as we remember the gospel, as we celebrate communion with one another. Let it be a celebration of what you have done to make us your own. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.